and welcome to Within the Musician Podcast. My name is Monica Williams. I'm your host. I'm a flute player, a teacher, educator, and this podcast is for everyone that's a musician, educator, or future educator. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. His name is Josh Boyd, and he's a podcast host himself with a podcast called Directing Bands. And his podcast is everything from tips and tricks for teachers, specifically to band directors, but also great ideas for building community um, within the format of not only in-person but virtual teaching. So if you're a teacher of any kind, it's worth checking out his podcast. He not only talks about education tips and tricks, but things like personal finance. So I'm super psyched to have him on today. We're going to talk about some of those tips and tricks, um, but also on his philosophy of building community. He particularly has this amazing way of building community with his musicians by instilling levels for his chairs rather than competition for direct uh, chair test. And he's going to talk to us about that. So I'm super psyched to have him on. Let's welcome Josh Boyd. It's exciting for me. So thanks for having me on. Oh, yes. No, I think it's it, so important and pertinent, especially now that we have ideas, this mutual exchange, because we're all figuring out how to navigate virtual teaching. And um, I really wanted to have a band director. And I think, you know, the one thing that's that's great is we I know I have a lot of listeners in California and you are in Georgia and we're in a little different situation in California. Our band directors have not gone back to hybrid or in person at all. And you've kind of had a little bit of you started off virtually and now you're doing it's like a tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We started off in full virtual. Um, and then now and this is I don't know if it how it is in California, but over here in southeastern United States, it's it's all about football, whether it should be or not. That's the way it is. So they decided at first what we did, we stayed virtual, yet our marching band still got together, yet I had to keep them at six foot of space. So that's a whole separate Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It was very complex, very complicated. I mean, it was 20 minutes just to med screen them. Anyways, that's yeah. not your question. Uh, <laughs> no. And then we went in seat, but then when we got in seat, we started by a phase in to in seat. And so we finished up going at Christmas break where I had the majority of my kids sitting in front of me, six foot social distance, plexiglass, all kinds of things with still some students online. And now because the rate of coronavirus spread is, uh, I just found out in January, we're going back to fully online. So I, if I seem just a little scatterbrained today, it's because I feel like I've kind of done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that's, that sounds like a nightmare, but <laughs> to, to be honest, to, to have hybrid, half virtual, especially with, with band, but have you found a way to make this work? Cause you have, you've done this before where you're hybrid and um, is it easier to do hybrid or, or fully uh, virtual? I'll be honest with you. For me personally, it's easier when they're all in one place, either all online or all in seat. That makes sense. Um, But we found a way to make it work for both. Um, So it's the hardest part is student engagement. When I have some of them in the room and some of them online and you're trying to speak to basically two different distinct groups of people with two very different experiences, that student engagement, I think, is a little bit more of what you have to focus on with the online kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost kind of like 
it feels to me like almost like auditing a class, you know, when you're when you're doing that. It's almost as if you're like in a master class thing with participants and auditing. I mean, we're trying to not do that, right? I'm assuming. But um, but it feels a little bit like that would be very difficult to engage them and have them. It is. Now we do have a system that we set up. And uh if your listeners if they're interested in what we did, we did a podcast episode on it where every we went down to the technology and links of how to find it. Where basically we set our room up so for hybrid, um, we have two cameras in the front of our room. Mm-hmm. We use Google Google system where I'm at, mm-hmm. but so there's one camera that's on me for the zoom in picture, and then we actually hooked in a GoPro camera mm-hmm. um, that has the whole room, and then there's a screen where I can see all the faces of the online kids, so that as I'm teaching, I'm giving instruction. I also can turn and look into the camera and the screen and see the faces of everyone online. And through a standard monitor, my students in seat can actually talk with the students online. Wow. So we created a, an environment where it will work. That's pretty amazing. What do you remember what episode number that is? Um that's okay. I don't I'll find it and head. put that on the in the episode notes because that sounds like a <laughs> very yes, that's I'll put that in the episode notes because that sounds like a very uh beneficial episode for band directors to to listen to. It's cause I think that at least in California, then and some of the band directors I've talked to, we're still trying to figure it out. We don't know what's happening. I mean, they've said that they're going to go back and then the hybrid and then, you know, nothing. And of course, now California is not doing well. There's a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine. But in the meantime, we're all trying to figure out how to give students the the best experience. Um, and I know from listening to some of your podcasts that you said in one of them that you actually feel like this virtual process of teaching has made you a stronger teacher. Uh, can you can speak to that? What, what is, what's, what specifically has made it um, so that you have grown as a, as a teaching artist? I will tell you, I've had to become a way better teacher. Uh, and some of it's the way I choose. I, I had a mentor one time that said, you can let things happen to you or you can make the choice to happen to things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've always taken, well, I can't control the coronavirus clearly. So if I'm going to have to go into virtual, then rather than let something destroy me, I'm going to find a way out that I'm going to happen to it. So I went into this with the mentality of, okay, whatever here is in store for me, I'm going to make the best out of it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and there are some things that are even going to carry over when this whole thing ends. Uh, One of the things I will tell you as far as my teaching strategy that I've had to learn to improve on is I have to become a better, uh, I have to become more competent verbally you know, in my description, because now for a student that's online, sometimes with tech, they don't necessarily hear every inflection and I have to describe things better. Yeah. For example, um, this is, uh, you know, when you would tell a student, hey, you need to play in tune, you know, you need to play in tune. Well, if they were sitting in the room, you know, I could play a uh, I would hit something on the Yamaha Harmony director. They would match pitch because I try not to use a tuner because that doesn't train their ears. Mm. Um, I, I focus a lot on that, but they're not in the room. And I can't just play the Yamaha Harmony director uh, over the system because depending on what they have, it could actually change the pitch. So now I'm having to verbally describe what Intune is. Mm. And I'm having to actually go through that process and describe, not just talk about playing rhythmically precise, but what is rhythmically precise? I have to say it exactly. Mm. Um, So I find that I'm listening uh, in my personal time. I'm having to read more and listen more and discover more. Um, So I know that's a big one. And then technology, 
Um, I've, I'm a little old school. <laughs> I'm ashamed of that. Uh, you know, I'm about 15 years in and I've still got a few more to go. And, you know, today I'm convinced that I know less about the whole process than when I started. And I love that. I love what you say on your podcast, that you're a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. I knew when I heard your show, this was one I had to subscribe to because I'm like, that's someone like me. We're, we're lifelong learning. Um, but we, you know, rhythm sheets, usually I would have a student in front of me with my younger bands mm-hmm. that I'm still having to teach. You know, my mastery band, they come to me knowing all that stuff. All 50 of them are taking lessons and whatever. But for my incoming, I, I don't like calling the bottom band, but my developing band, mm-hmm. that's not true. So I have, I'm still breaking down rhythms and I would normally, they would do that front for me, but now we use a system. uh, We use the music first tools and in there is a notation software called flat. So now we create rhythm sheets in flat. And then the students start off by using the lyrics function where they go in and write the counts under it. And then eventually I move that into composing now to where I give them guidelines. I want you to do two measures of four, four, three, four, two, four, six, eight, then put the counts in then I want you to go back in, do it again, take the counts out, and I want you to play it. And so now the students are actually using a higher order thinking skill because they're not just regurgitating rhythms. Right. But I've worked them into composing, which is really kind of cool. And I would have never done that had the pandemic not hit. That's really cool. And it probably empowers students that they are creators and artists. So do you give them, is it just rhythms or do you have them do uh, rhythm and melody? We just so great, great question. We just started with the melody stuff um, because now we have I'm in we have 90 minute periods where I'm at um, and 90 minutes, large ensemble instruction virtually when you're having to use tracks. There's only so much of that you could do. And so my ultimate goal right now is if I know I may not have a corporate band concert, let's focus on helping kids love to play individually, to love music, be excited about it. Yes. And when they come back into the band room, eventually they're going to have skills for expression and individual competency on their instrument. And we're finding that the magic on that is happening. So we Good. just got to composing melodies and it's it, it's great. Some of it's epic fail, you, you know, but I find that this is something else that's really, really cool. I find that I am now teaching students to get excited about failing. And I think I teach at a Title I school. So a lot of my students, uh, they come out of a poverty background. Mm. And I think there's value in this because I heard someone say the other day, I'm so excited because I bombed this miserably. So now I know a million ways not to do it. And maybe the next one will be right. And I thought, that's it, though. That's a skill for life. If Even if they're not going to be a musician and they're just going to be a lifelong player of music, now they've got a skill that they can take into the boardroom. They can take the skill into the sales, you know, for a lot of my kids trade school. And that is don't be scared to fail. It's OK. I think we need to do a whole podcast just on that, because I think that that's just an amazing thing. Yes, it's a life lesson that um, that failure is information and I think that this is a life lesson for a lot of band directors because I've I've heard I've been on the Facebook forums and I mean it's some of it's actually comical of epic failures of of possible collaborations but there's information in that and you know and you're right it does teach students that failure is okay that your your problem solving and part of problem solving is not being afraid to be put yourself out there right and um. So I, I like that. Um, I like that. Real music takes courage. Yes. It takes courage. And I think 
that's some of the stuff that we had, we, we're going to focus on. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to play courageously. It's okay to take risks. Seth Godin, this has, he, he, did, he writes books on marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth Godin wrote a book called The Dip. And in that, he's, he's talking about Fortune 500 companies, but he says that the most successful organizations are not the ones that are always at the top of the mountain, but they're the ones that get excited because the sooner you get your organization down into the valley, the sooner they hit rock bottom the faster they can jolt up because you have to learn what doesn't, what doesn't work before you. It's kind of like back in beginning, man, I'm a trumpet player. And I had to first learn what tone was, which meant I had to sound like a dying cow in a room for six months before I eventually figured it out. But had I not been willing to do that and to explore that, I would have never, uh, I would have never been able to, be successful at the instrument. Right. Yes. And that everyone starts off as a beginner in something, you know, in life. And I think that that's one quality that uh, music students can take that, you know, when you're learning to perform, it's not only just to perform your instrument, like you you said, it's those life skills. So it's learning to be courageous in an interview. It's learning to be courageous um, and step outside of your comfort zone. Because I think every musician, it's an, it's an element of, of stepping out of your comfort zone in order to um, to really be confident enough, to be courageous enough to make great sounds on your instrument because everyone starts off as a beginner. If you don't go through that process, you're not going to be um, you're not going to develop as a as a musician. So that's that's very cool. Back to the to the to the bands. Um, can you take us through like maybe in your developing bands, what some of that 90 minutes would look like um, and how you how you would structure that to to get the most student engagement? What have you found works the best for your groups? And so you're wanting for just specifically for, for your listeners right now, you said everyone in California is predominantly virtual. We are all correct? virtual. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of take it because it looked very differently between virtual to hybrid. It, it had morphed and changed. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll kind of focus on the virtual side. I, 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 uh, I believe teaching is about three, the three R's relationships, relevance, and rigor. Mm. And when bands function, but math, science, economic, anything, students learn when they have a positive relationship with the teacher or the positive relationship with the subject, they understand how it's relevant to their life. And then and only then will there be rigor. So we took that same model and applied it to online. The very first thing that students do when they log on to us through Google Meet Mm -hmm. is we spend about five to seven minutes, which is more than we would normally do. Normally, I'm very much, you know, when your director steps on the podium, this is what happens. Here's the process we go. Mm -hmm. But that's because I'm developing that positive relationship with them, that trust, because music takes trust. I develop that outside. And when they walk in and walk out, now they don't have that. So I call this the walk in the classroom, the first five to seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And when they log in, some days it's a just a conversation that sometimes is musical. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a funny story. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm asking students, how was your day today? Sometimes because I teach, uh, again, students that uh, come from very uh, they come from backgrounds where they're where they statistically would struggle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's a leadership or a mentorship YouTube video that we play for a couple minutes. And then we talk about Love that. Um, but that's the first, first little bit. Then we get into relevance. So depending on whatever skills we've decided that we are, we do some ensemble stuff like Randall Standridge is a composer and he has a lot of uh, music that you can go get that he's got into flex charts that also has backing tracks to it so that you can create an ensemble with it and students can listen 
um, and play with. We did uh, Havana Nights is one of his that we actually worked mm-hmm. on. But I call that the fun, the fun moment. Okay. We really focused on individual skills. So, for example, he's got some mixed meter stuff in there, I believe. If I remember, we did it earlier in the year, but I want to say it was six, eight, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. So when I get to the relevance part, I would say, you know, here's what we're going to work on today. We're going to break these rhythms down. We're going to talk about them. I want you to share. We're all going to go uh, overnight tonight. We're going to get on YouTube, bring back a couple links, you know, so kids will explore trying to find music that's in six, eight and seven, eight based on what they hear. Mm, I like that. And then we would we would break break all that stuff down. And then eventually, just to get into the practical stuff for band directors, here's what actually happens when we rehearse. Um, after we go through or whatever. So let's say uh, we use music first because it has the foundations book, the habits book in there. And I would say, okay, guys, we are now going to do the Remington exercise. It's habits number 1A. I have a metronome that goes through a Personas audio box, USB 96. And I hit that metronome. They get eight clicks. Everyone's on mute. Mm -hmm. And we play together. And while I have my microphone on and I say the same things that I would normally say, so it's close to a same experience. Mm -hmm. And then we move through it. And about every two exercises, I'll ask students to unmute and play for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of follow that same guideline. I don't know if I'm getting too no, in-depth no, with you. But. No, that's really good. And, and do you find that when you ask students to unmute and play themselves, is that is that something you would do in your in your bands? Because the one thing that I'm concerned about is that is that sometimes students might join a band because they're they're hoping for the team experience, you know, that let's face it, that in a band you have, you know, you're one of many of your instruments, hopefully, if you have a, have a, have a good band. And all of a sudden now that we're virtual, this unmuting thing and having it one B or like maybe even having to submit a recording on um, Flipgrid is a lot of the, 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 mm-hmm. the things and other students can see it. it. It exposes you more, which is like really does have a lot of beneficial things. Is there students that you're finding that are just not responding to this and how do you help them um, navigate this? So some of this too is the first, the first week's the hardest because what you're establishing in the first, a lot of band directors I think that do this the wrong way. And I'll just go ahead and say mm-hmm. it and hope I don't offend anyone. Yep. They make the virtual world about them. And so what they do is, is they log in and they make it all about, the band, their reputations or whatever survive. And mm-hmm. my experience is the teachers that are are thriving in this moment and will thrive when the moment ends, they make it about the students. So we have to establish that positive culture, that safety net of now all of your microphones aren't going to be as good. Some of you, you're going to struggle and that's okay. You are the, the, the journey, the goal is to play for the class and that's enough. Mm-hmm. And I even have a little applause button that I have hooked in sometimes that when someone plays for the first time, I hit it like I would on a podcast mm-hmm. and it does a little bit of an applause for them. And that's cheesy. No, but it's it's something. Now, also, I should say, too, we don't do chair challenges at my school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use. Um, in fact, uh, we put it together. We actually did a little mini presentation on it at the uh, National Association for Music Education mm-hmm. uh, poster session a couple of years ago. And got asked to put it together. So we're actually putting together, but it's called the mastery movement system. So my students, even pre-pandemic and now in the pandemic, I don't do chair challenges. If you want to get in my top ensemble, here's what it takes. All of my students have levels. We call them movements. Mm. And you work through those. You get one point for everything that you commit. So when a student comes in on day one of school, they have a book that I put in their hands. That's everything they need to do to get to 
uh, the end that they could be a music major in college if they wanted to. Wow. And they progressed. And your chair is based on how many things that you've done, which band you're in is based on what you've done. Uh, so I ha- I mean, it's pretty clear cut. The students love it because so many band directors, they tell their students, go home and practice. Well, practice what? Right. And my st- people that teach private lessons at my school, they love it because they know exactly what I'm doing in class because, yeah. you know, it's here it is. Here's everything they need. And so uh, when we come back in April, my I have four seniors that actually made it to the last level, which is called the mastery musician level. And they're actually going to do a honors recital. We've invited their college professors of the schools that they want to go to and their future applied teachers to come see them. My trumpets are playing the Hummel, the Haydn. One of them's playing Carnival of Venice. Um, I've got a flautist. I don't know what she's playing just yet because uh, she's meeting with her instructor. But and it's a big deal because everyone wants to get there. We throw a reception. And when you get to the end, it's almost like a mini college experience because my job as a high school director is to get my kids that want to go to school to, to get them there. So that's a whole other podcast. I, well, I, I, well, I, I want to make sure I, I'd love it. I want to make sure, but I think it needs to be another whole podcast. Yes. But I want to make sure I understand this. So do you give your, as they move through the, through the movements, do they get a chair or just, or do you just have um, a movable section or so? So we track it, we track it in Google sheets because, and every kid has a link so they can see everything all the time now. And it doesn't, it's not attached to the grades. So, you know, there's no kid looking up because that's illegal to show any students, Mm -hmm. nothing like that. But like anyone, a freshman can log on at any time and see, I have completed five tasks um, and now I'm looking up. So my, the kids in advance band, look at, look at those flautists. They, you know, they're 26 tasks in. And so now there's other cool things that happen. So when a student finishes movement one, we make a big deal about this because there's some students that they haven't developed the intrinsic value yet. It's about rewards mm-hmm. and I meet them where they're at. So when you finish a level, I, every Monday morning, we announce every kid that's finished a level. There's a wall. They have a certificate with their name for level one that goes up on my wall. The whole class claps. Wow. And it is a celebration. But what's really cool is in my band room, there's a culture of I got to where I'm at because of my hard work. Wow. It's it's about what I did individually. And I will tell you, the first level is as simple as the kids come in. They learn B flat, E flat, A flat, F, uh, a one octave chromatic scale and a few basic exercises. So anyone uh, can get started. Now, my four at the end have played. All 48, major, minor, natural minor, melodic minor, The they've worked through Rubank Elementary all the way through Advanced Volume 2. The trumpets players are playing in Arbens. Um, it's designed, they've composed music, they've improvised music, they've done writing around the curriculum, they've done presentations, they've played in front of their peers, they've tried out for Allstate. To get there is a huge deal, but that's what the system does, is we don't ever want a kid to get to the end, because then they don't have anything wow. to work Yeah, for. you're right. That's amazing. I, I, I've, that would be amazing to have students that had a had a had a program like that because it does make the the um, the private lesson a little bit more structured. And and students love the one thing I did like about the chairs, which is the same thing that you're doing, but in a different way, kind of a better mm-hmm. way, is that it got students motivated. That you know everyone wants to be first chair, right? And that's to me the only benefit of. Oh, and let me just tell you what happens because it's all trapped in a Google system and no longer does your grade level determine your chair. Mm -hmm. It's what you do. So it happened about three weeks ago. I have a ninth grader Mm -hmm. that worked his way up 
And he is now first chair in my mastery grade six band. And in Georgia, we go from grade one to grade six. And he's top trombone player, top of the top. And so now those juniors and seniors, they're like, wait a second, but he's a freshman. And I'm like, uh-huh. Mm. Well, how do I take lessons? Because this guy's taking lessons. That's not fair. Oh, well, let me give you the phone number to his lessons instructor. Mm. I would love for you to take lessons. Mm. And I find that most of my students initially, that's why they start. It's that sense of competition. But a lot of directors don't like that. But I'll tell you, when they get to college, that's that's what the real music world is. Mm. And there's also that sense of pride for that student that goes, it's about how hard I work. And so our whole band culture is based on you can do anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's all up to you. The, and the other thing I really like about your system is that um, is that because it's a, um, an actual path of movement forward, um, it's not just one moment. Because this is something I talk a lot about my students is just performance anxiety. And there might have been a chair challenge, these things where there was just a moment and they lost the chair. And now they're discouraged. And it was just a moment rather than um, uh, something that a task they had to learn and, and kind of put forth. And I've always told all of my students that no one has ever asked me what chair I was in middle school high school, college, although it's just for practicing, it means nothing, you know? And so, um, I, I make sure that they if they see both worlds that it, it it means nothing but it's just a way to keep you practicing and um and healthy competition is is good but it is unique to music and I like I like that you bring in the life skills thing is that you would never see this in a math class I mean if a math teacher put the best person um the person that got the highest grades in the front and the people that got the worst grades in the back you know they'd be fired but it is music yep. life it is it is a definite thing in college it's certainly a thing when you get to the professional professional, you know, orchestras and bands. So it is good to teach a little bit of it. So it seems like you've brought together the best of both worlds, which is a little. I'll I'll tell you about a a really cool moment that it just happened. So I have a senior Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, and it's not, you know, it's just a senior motivations different, you know, everybody, it does the bare minimum Mm -hmm. um, and never made it out of movement one. And, uh, but this senior for whatever reason has decided now, they want to do it. So this senior finished movement one and you would think that he would feel the sense of shame or whatever, but it wasn't that at all. In fact, the entire class clapped and applauded when he had done, he stood up with a sense of pride and hung up his because on each wall, the different movements are, he hung up his certificate, the whole class clapped. And then we posted about it on the Google classroom. And then people from other classes are all congrat. Hey, you know what? You finally did it. Congratulations. And he's like, yeah, I, I always knew I could. And so, and it doesn't just serve the top kids, the, the, the kids that are developing, they find a sense of pride. And just for band directors that want to know, I don't do these pass offs in class. The kids submit them. Uh, we use music first. I've got a couple friends that use smart music. Some use free Google classroom, but um, we don't have a pass off day. This is all work that they do outside of class. Cause when my kids go home, they don't just endlessly practice. Now they have something very I specific. To I love that. Cause you know, going back to the performance anxiety thing with some of my, I'm thinking of a handful of very specific students, but the problem has been, it's harder to play in front of your peers. So when you get to that moment and you're prepared and you're having a, having to do that in front of your class, it's, it's can be a little bit intimidating. And so it's just like test taking. Some people take tests a little bit better. It's something we've got to work mm-hmm. on and we do. Um, but, you know, to have it be outside of the classroom, I think would you would get better 
a better overview because because as a private teacher, I get to see them all the t- you know play all the time. But band directors, you don't get to hear them play individually as much as. No, I had a teach. So we were uh, doing a, a poster session on this at NAFME in Dallas mm-hmm. and someone came up to me and said, but it's not fair. I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, sometimes you're going to have a student go home and they don't naturally get it. So they re-record it, you know, 15 times before they click submit. And I said, but that's my favorite student. Yeah. Because don't you see what just happened? That student went home and practiced for two hours to re-record it and re-record it until they sent it. So which one grew and had more value, the one who naturally got it or the one that had to work twice as hard? And in the long run, which student is going to make it the furthest in the profession? Is it the one who naturally didn't work hard? And I will tell you, some of my most talented musicians at our school are not in the top chair. Mm. Um, And I'll throw this out there now for band directors. Mm -hmm. In my top ensemble, I do not pass out parts based on chair. You sit in your chair for warm up because I want that sense of this is where I earn. But my bottom chair clarinet is also going to play first part. If you sit in my mastery band, everyone plays every part. And just like they do at a lot of universities, even at performance evaluation or even when we sit on stage at a clinic performance, you will see my band between every song. We reset up. We rechange. Every kid in my band is going to play the first part, the second part, the third part. And that means I'm going to struggle. But I also want my top musician to know that you might have the most pass offs, but you are not more valuable than third chair and third chair. You are just as valuable as this kid that's going to major in music education. You know what? You're going to go work on a trade. But in the ensemble, we are all important. We are all valuable. Everyone matters. That is amazing. And I love that. I wish I I wish there'd be more ensembles that would do that, the rotating parts, because it's even as a, I'll speak to like the flute part, um, you know, the second part is, is just as important as the first part. And so to, to mix them up gives them another experience. Um, and if you're ever going to audition in an orchestra, I'll just use the orchestra thing, you know, you have to know the repertoire for both first part, second part, and third part. If you're going to, you're going to audition the, the, the repertoire list will change. So if you only played first part your entire life, you're, you're almost doing a disservice to that student because, um, they might go and play at one of the top orchestras or top bands and, you know, and have to audition on second part. Um, so that's great that you do that. And that's how my college experience was. There was no first chair. Mm-hmm. There was no second chair. We, we kind of rotated through. I, I will tell you, it was, uh, I, I there's a, a thing over here we call JanFest. It's at the University of Georgia. It's like an honor band and our students love going to it. Uh, but at the end of it, our students get to see the University of Georgia, one of their bands. And I remember seeing uh, their wind ensemble. And between every song, I noticed everything was was consistently changing. And that's honestly, I thought this, why is this a college thing? Like what, wouldn't my students have value? Doesn't my top performer, my first year also need to know from the sake of balance, because my top performer, when they get to college and there's grad students at the university of Georgia as well, they're not going to go play first flute as an undergraduate freshman. Mm -hmm. That's just not going to happen. I mean, at least not where we're located, not when there's grad students there that are absolutely amazing. They've been playing, you know, so they need to know that experience if they're going to be successful mm-hmm. on down the road. You know? Right. Wow. That's, that's all really great points. I do want to ask, cause I'm keeping an eye on our time. I do want to ask about virtual collaborations in terms of like, have you done anything on bands lab or soundtrap or this iMovie virtual and what was your experience with it? And do you recommend it to band directors still doing 100% virtual? So I'm going to tell you a funny story. So we bought the Adobe 
uh, tools to do a virtual band concert. We recorded everything. We were so excited. Um, it was going to be amazing. And then <laughs> things that you should not do. We had it all on a MacBook Pro 2019. Well, we were still in marching band. And so this computer was also the computer that runs a lot of the electronic stuff that we have that <laughs> runs. And one of our kids just backed over it. And so we actually lost all the data and it was three weeks before the end of the year. So we did not get our final performance out. Uh, so I can't speak as much on that, but what I will tell you, you mentioned soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So when I, we first went into soundtrack, we thought, okay, this will be a fun little music production tool. It'll help us with student engagement. We've got 90 minutes and now we're online. So why not? Mm -hmm. We can teach some music theory as it developed. Here's what actually happened. We had some students and they were typically my students that maybe weren't my best performers in the band. They would call it making beats or whatever. But what we figured out how to do was there were two different things that we found the value in Soundtrap. The first one was, is I wanted my students to be playing long tones in Remington and Chickowitz exercises and all at their house. Mm -hmm. And I wanted woodwinds to be playing, you know, you need to be working on chromatic stuff because it's stuff you're going to have all the time. Mm -hmm. So I started doing challenges. I would demonstrate something and then have them start to create backing tracks by playing it in with the piano or playing in with the keyboard. They would create a backing track. Then the next thing I had them do was take that keyboard synth out and then start sending in recordings of them playing their instrument with the track that they created. Okay. Now, two things happen. Number one, they are now playing with a drone pitch, like on the uh, Remington exercise. They're now playing with a drone pitch in, in the background, which is cool. Yes. And the second thing is, is I just tricked them into playing probably 20 minutes of fundamentals at their house by themselves without a band there because they think it's cool because they're playing with the backing track that they created. Mm -hmm. And so now I have to keep them playing fundamentals while they're out there in the virtual world because they're not in my band room. I created a website. I uploaded the backing tracks like to the Chickowitz exercise. Here are all the Chickowitz ones you created. Go through and play the Chickowitz exercise with any one of these you want to. And then write me two sentences about which ones you liked. And, you know, I mean, I had kids playing exercises for days. That is so creative and um, yeah, it puts the, it put, it's goes back to what you were saying. It puts the student in the, in the seat of being an artist, even in a, in using fundamentals. Um, and, um, that's awesome. I might have to, I might have to steal that and try it with my flute choirs or one of the exercises, but that sounds like it. Cause students love the yeah. production element and making beats. And that is kind of a nice thing, but they have a lot of little cool, I haven't really messed around with the beat thing, but you know, I, I did, I did see that. And, um, Nice little piano roll. They could do easily create a, a drone to make um, to make the harmony part of it. Well, and my, so my the second thing, my assistant director is a percussionist, and he teaches our percussion class. And a lot of the stuff with technology. His name's Andrew Leitner, and if you come to the Directing Band podcast, you'll see his name. And I got to give him credit for a lot of the tech stuff because a lot of the stuff was was his ideas that I have picked up. Uh, but he started dragging in loot loops of drum beats and then having the students write out using flat, which is notation software, the rhythm. Mm -hmm. So now he has students and they think it's cool because it's beats, but they are listening to a loop and writing out the rhythms. Now think about what that's going to do later on when they're in the ensemble. Now they can hear something and better articulate right where it goes in time. Right. 
And you're keeping them engaged in the process, which is hard to do in 90 minutes with a virtual bands. It's, it's, it is. So when you're actually in the, in the virtual session, do you, do you highlight some of these students and, and all the time? Um, in fact, we started pulling off, Hey, today we are going to play this exercise. Here is the track from, um, you know, from Callista and I'll click play. And instead of doing the metronome eight counts, Mm -hmm. They'll now hear eight counts and they'll play with that same, you know, same backing track. A lot of directors, I think, resist that because we want to develop the ears. The problem is, is in the virtual world, you can't necessarily develop balance in sense of pitch because the I don't know what you'd call it, the bit rate of people's Internet. And, you know, it's all different, so it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I could get upset about that or I can go, hey, I can increase engagement and I can develop their sense of timing. I can, I can do that. So let's do that. Right. And you're again to the life skills thing. I mean, that's, that's a sense of empowerment, which I think is crucial. It goes back to your three R's, you know, and really teaching students that their voice matters and, and that you're an artist, even with um, doing these, these fundamental exercises. So that's great. It sounds like you have a, a great band program. Um, so I do want to, it sounds like you have a lot of this. I know you do because I've listened to it. You have a lot of great episodes specifically to some of these tech things, some of these ideas. And I, we both kind of started the podcast. You started a little earlier than me, but in this pandemic, um, and one of the reasons I started was to, to basically get more information and, um, and interview guests like you and get ideas for myself, but there's a wealth of information on your podcast. So where can people finds and band directors specifically, where can they find your podcast? Hey, that first off, thanks. Thanks for asking. Um, and I feel very much about the same about your show and it was the same thing here. Here comes a pandemic. Let me start telling people what I'm doing so that they can then communicate back with me of what they're doing. And, you know, I've learned so much from, from talking with you and so many other people. So it's, it's been fantastic. But so if you want to find our show, the easiest, the easiest place most people find us is on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Most of my listeners are there. Um, and you just type in directing band and you'll see the, the, the graphic come up directing band podcast. Uh, if you go to directingband.com, that's our website. You can click on there. And uh, when you go to there and click listen to the show, you'll find we're on 10, 15 other podcast platforms as well. You can like and subscribe. Uh, We just started like in the last 24 hours, an Instagram page, which is directing the band. Mm. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Josh R. Boyd, B-O-Y-D. That's where you'll find me. And then our email address is directingband at gmail.com. And I would tell you what would be really, really cool, too, because I know a lot of your listeners, maybe they're on the West Coast where I'm on the East Coast. My show is based on just band directors telling what they're doing, that we all have this community. None of us have it all figured out, but we're all trying to figure it out. So if there's any listeners, too, that aren't, you know, I I hope you'll like and subscribe my show, but I would love to have you on my show. So if you're a band director out there and you're like, hey, I'd love to come on and tell you what I'm doing, you know. Send, send me an email, directingband at gmail.com. We don't turn anyone down. Anyone that wants to come on and share ideas about anything band related. And we even talk about personal finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, retirement. We, I had a conversation on from my guard instructor that was like, hey, this is what every guard instructor wishes their band director, uh, what they knew. I mean, we have folks on all across the spectrum. So um, 
it would be, that would be absolutely fantastic. So th- yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me yeah, say absolutely. that. So nice. And it sounds like, um, in, we're all, you know, we're stronger together. So sharing information and, um, uh, you don't have to do everything or come up with every idea, you know, yourself, there's people out there that are, that are willing to exchange ideas and sounds like your podcast, or your podcast is a great place to do that. So I will put all of this in the episode notes as well. So catch all that, just, um, click on more information and whatever, thing you're listening to and you can get all of josh's information thank you so much and i look forward i think that i think later in 2020 we'll have to touch base again and do and do another podcast uh together that would be fantastic i i would love that and i can hardly wait to see what your show's got coming out uh this this upcoming year i'm sure it's going to be great absolutely thank you thank you So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Within the Musician. And as I mentioned, I'm going to put all of Josh's information in the episode notes so that you can easily find his podcast and him. But if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to tune into the very next episode where Josh is interviewing me. And we talk lots about phrasing and private lesson teaching techniques um, And that will be on immediately following this one. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, share, subscribe, or review. It really helps us get more visibility so other musicians can find us easily when they seek and search us out. Until next time, bye-bye.